Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Thanks for tuning in. Let's be active in sharing the gospel. Let's be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. In the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's a phrase used in church circles, at weddings and other religious events. The Trinity is not just a biblical concept though, but the reality of who God is. You might be okay with God the Father and Jesus the Son, but where do you sit with the Holy Spirit? More specifically, where do you sit with the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Spiritual gifts are to grow the local church and build up fellow believers. Dr. Corbett continues in his four-part series on the Holy Spirit tonight, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's join him now. Firstly, Jesus said in John 16 verse 8, I will send the Holy Spirit. He will, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. That's the first thing the Holy Spirit does. If, you, if, you, if there is something in your heart that says, God, I want to know you. The prophet Isaiah said, your sins have separated you from God. And it says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the last verse of Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. And our sin, our rebellion is, is, a, is a huge obstacle between us and God. And it must be dealt with. And here's the first step. You start praying prayers like this. God, I really do want to know you. I see other people my age. I see other people who are sort of in my scene. They don't seem to care about you, but I do. I want to love you. I want to hear you. I want to know you. If you are embarking on a prayer life like that, can I tell you, one of the things you are going to discover very early on is this work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You see, would you rather go through life without the Holy Spirit telling you in any way that you are deviating from the path God wants for your life and then to die and stand before God on the day of judgment and you discover you're not on that path? I would much rather know now. That's the first thing Jesus said. When I sent him, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin. But he doesn't just leave us in conviction. He doesn't just point out this is where we fall short. This is the beautiful thing. He then offers the forgiveness that Christ has earned on the cross. I mean, thank God. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness. So he offers us the righteousness of Christ. So that if we, no, not if, when we die, we will stand before God and God may, to put it in a picture, may say to us, why should I let you into heaven? And you can't say to God, because I'm not a bad person, because suddenly in that day you'll realise the standard and you'll see how far short we all fall from that standard. But imagine if at that time Jesus comes over and says, hang on, Father, before you send them outside of heaven for eternity, just let me have a word to them. And he says, look, I'm going to give you my passport into heaven. Everything, you, you have this, and that entitles you to everything that belongs to me. Everything, every possession I have in heaven. You have this, and it's yours. And you give me the list of your crimes for which you should be condemned for eternity and I'll take that for you and we'll swap. What are you going to say? Hopefully you're going to say, thank you. I accept. And the Holy Spirit wants people to say that. The Holy Spirit right now wants to convict people of sin, but then he wants to minister the offer of Christ, salvation from sin. And I hope that for, you, for some of you here this morning, perhaps some of you listening to me right now, will say, my life is so messed up. 
I have really messed my life up. Anything's got to be better than this. And if Jesus is offering to forgive me, if Jesus is offering to give me a brand new start, if he's offering to give me peace with God for eternity, man, I'm going to take that. I'm going to have that. Thank you. And the Holy Spirit wants to minister that to you today. He wants to give that to you today. That's called salvation, being saved from sin. And once you're saved from sin, the Holy Spirit then wants to do this. He wants to change you. <laughs> he wants to change you. It's true that you, God loves you just the way you are. Isn't that a relief? He loves you just the way you are. If you are not a Christian today and you are, you are thinking, I've got to get my act together before I can become a Christian, I've got great news for you. No, you don't. You can come to Christ just as you are. It's wonderful. You can come broken, damaged, imperfect, hurting. You can come as a jerk. You can come as a failure. You can come, let me say, I think the toughest situation to come is when you're really, really successful because you think you got it all and you don't even need God. And in, even in that arrogance, you can still come. It's awesome. But here's the awesome thing. While you can become a Christian without changing a thing, God will just accept you the way you are. God loves you the way you are. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And that process of changing you into the person he wants you to be is called this big word here, sanctification. Sanctification. And the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit puts, it, puts things on your heart like, hey, you know how you just sort of go to bed at night? How about you read a bit of your Bible before you go to bed at night? You know how you kind of slacken off some mornings and sleep in and don't go to church? Hey, come on, how about, how about we go? <laughs> and maybe the Holy Spirit begins to put things in your heart like, you know, in my word, I say that, that they gathered in the temple and then they met in homes. How about you join a home group? And the Holy Spirit begins to put these things on your heart so that you begin to change. And, and you begin to experience the change that the Holy Spirit wants to bring. I, I, I trust that in 12 months' time, those of you who really love God, who are saying, God, I want you to have your way in my heart. And I hope many of you are praying that right now, literally right now. God, I pray that by your Spirit, what this pastor is talking about, that you would begin to do that in my life today. You'd start it today. And I pray in 12 months' time, we will all look at each other and go, wow, you're, you're different. So are you. And I pray that we will change the way we talk. Some of us, when we, when we come to Christ, we, we smoke, we drank, we did drugs, we watched things we shouldn't watch, we, we talked in a way where we just didn't really care what came out of our mouth. And as you follow Christ, you realise the Holy Spirit begins to change those things. That's called sanctification. He's changing us. And then there's this aspect of what the Holy Spirit does. And Jesus actually said to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. And at that moment, most scholars would say, at that moment, the work of the new covenant began in people's hearts. He transformed their hearts. And we said that's, that's what it takes to be a Christian. But then he said this, I want you to wait until I send the Holy Spirit 
to baptise you, to fill you, to baptise you. And Jesus spoke of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, an experience that we read in Acts chapter 8 when Philip went and preached to the people at Samaria. They said, we receive Jesus. We want Jesus. And they received a touch of the Holy Spirit so that their sins were forgiven, their heart was transplanted, and they were born again. And then Philip said, there's some more. There's more for you on the journey. He said, I, I, I think we need to get the apostles down from Jerusalem to impart that to you. And so uh, Peter and John came down from Jerusalem. This is in Acts chapter 8. And it says this. They laid hands on them. And they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues, or some of them spoke in tongues and prophesied. And it says this. There was a sorcerer there. Interesting language whose name was Simon, Simon the Sorcerer. And he saw this and he said, that is the most powerful magic I've ever seen. And it says Simon went up to the Apostle Peter and said, if I gave you money, could you give me that power? That's how the dark arts may work, but that's not how God works. So he saw something happen. He didn't say that to Philip when they were born again because sometimes an inner transformation, inner transformation is not so obvious. So from this point on, the church was birthed. The day of Pentecost, we see through the book of Acts, it unfolds. People become born again. Some of them, some of them press on to seek God to be baptised in the Holy Spirit so that they open their soul, their mind, their heart up to being, to being recipients of particular gifts of the Spirit. How do we know that? Because 1 Corinthians, this was one of the issues that had happened. The first epistle to the Corinthians, Paul is addressing one of the issues that arose when this happened. Some people had experienced this kind of fullness of the Holy Spirit. The people that had pressed in and received this extra dimension of the Holy Spirit were now looking down their nose and belittling people who hadn't. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul introduces it. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Well, if he doesn't want you to be uninformed, neither do I. And, and just let me say from the outset, we want to be a church that is at least open to what the Holy Spirit can do. Don't we? At least open. We, we also want to be a church that's, that's open to the Holy Spirit so that if any of these gifts are appropriate and the Holy Spirit is stirring the use of these gifts... We receive them. We want to be in that place. But I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a moment. We go down to verse 4. We'll read verses 4 and 5, and it says this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service or serving, but the same Lord. So this is what Paul is saying. Once you become a Christian... Chances are the Holy Spirit's going to use you in a certain way. And, this, and I've said 
and I want to be heard very clearly here. The moment you become a Christian, it, it, that itself is the beginning of a supernatural journey for you. Christianity is fundamentally, foundationally supernatural, intrinsically supernatural. It's not like we can pretend or fake Christianity. You can't. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work that takes place on the inside and it works its way out. It's utterly spiritual. Here's what we also need to understand. That true Christianity is not something we make up as we go along. It's not something where we meet together on a Sunday and we say, well, let's just see what the Holy Spirit wants to say and we just sort of sit around and wait for someone to say something in the Spirit. That's not Christianity. Christianity is bounded by the Word of God. In fact, if you never hear the Spirit of God speak to you, you have on your lap, in your hand, right now, more than enough Word and revelation from God than you'll ever need. Here it is, the Word of God. But there's something else to Christianity as well. Because Christianity is not just about Word, is it? In the beginning, John, John tells us, was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. In Genesis, it says this. In the beginning, God said, there's the Word, let there be light. And then the next verse is, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. You see, when the Word and the Holy Spirit are there, things get created. Things come into being. There's health, there's balance. So we need both. We don't just want to be a church where you come on a Sunday and hear a lecture. We don't want that. It is my deep prayer, especially this week as I'm preparing for this, that the Holy Spirit right now in this moment would begin to do something in your heart and open up your heart and mind to a realm of relationship with him. So true Christianity is informed by Scripture but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So you'll read Scripture, and sometimes you'll read Scripture and you'll be tired, maybe first thing in the morning or last thing at night, and maybe you're tired and you think, what have I just read? And then maybe days later, you're doing something, nothing in particular, and the Holy Spirit brings something back to your remembrance and begins to nourish your soul on the Word of God that you read that your mind didn't necessarily engage with, but your soul did. So the, whole, so the Holy Spirit is necessary for inspiring your walk with Christ. Here's what we read in the early chapters of Acts. Day, day of Pentecost, chapter 2, it says they were baptised in the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. Thousands of people came to Christ Chapter 3, we see the gifts of the Holy Spirit resulting in Peter and John walking through the temple area. There's a man who's been there for 30-something years at the gate of the temple. They reach out and they say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he's healed. So there's gifts of healing happening, Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 4, the church holds a prayer meeting. And what was the focus of their prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4? If you read it, it goes like this. Oh God, fill us again. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. You see, I think 
That should be one of the most recurrent prayers of any child of God. Oh God, I've given out what you've given to me. Fill me up again. I want more. I want fresh. I need more of you. Are you praying for the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh continually? Be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. You should be. I hope you are. I'm going to pray that you are. (laughs) May we have that passion. In Acts chapter 5, it says that that the whole church met and they just sold property. They gave whatever they could and they put it in the offering. Wow. I think that's only possible if the Holy Spirit does a work in your heart. In Acts chapter 6, it starts to get scary. Because we read of two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who who the apostle says lied to the Holy Spirit. So Ananias and Sapphira come in and Peter says, Did you sell the property for this much and give the whole proceeds to the church? Yes, we did. That was a lie. He said, I just want to ask again just to make sure. Yes, we did. You have not lied to men. You have lied to men. To the Holy Spirit. That's how we know, one of the reasons we know the Holy Spirit's not an energy force. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And the men, get this, man, this would be this would be an interesting Sunday lunch, wouldn't it, after church? Because what happens next is Peter says, he stands up and he says, The men who are going to carry your dead bodies out are standing at the door. <laughs> and a nice fire goes, dead body, what's it? Boomf. And they boom, fall down. That's being slain in the spirit. They were literally slain in the spirit. They lied to the Holy Spirit and they died. Now, wouldn't that be an interesting day at church? And we read through the book of Acts that every stage the Holy Spirit is doing something different, different, continually doing something different. At one point, it says this, the apostle Paul went, and as his handkerchief touched a sick person, They instantly got healed. That's pretty weird. And every chapter of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is doing something different, which is why the book of Acts is sometimes called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So we come to this church at Corinth. And we we, we know in Corinth there was a lot of weird stuff going on. There was temples to demon gods. There was all kinds of weird stuff happening. And as we read through Acts, we see this. Wherever there were sorcerers, magicians, false prophets, the Holy Spirit always did something spectacular. Spectacular. I love, what is it, Acts chapter 14. I would have loved to have been in the room when the Apostle Paul was preaching to a local leader, a local magistrate, and in walks this false prophet, and he, and he says, Who's, who worships demons? He's a Satanist. And he walks in and he's saying to the magistrate, don't listen to Paul. Don't listen to this man. Just don't. And Paul is angry. And he turns and he says, in the name of Jesus, be silent. And suddenly the man can't talk. And the magistrate sees it. This is like a weird day in the office. This is, this is really strange. And he goes on and says, it's the power of the Holy Spirit 
and he leads this man to Christ. We, we see some extraordinary thing. Now, and the point here is this. Wherever, wherever the word of God was rare and wherever there was strong demonic resistance to the gospel, the Holy Spirit seems to always step up. And in a few weeks, as we heard Mark say, we're going to hear uh, Kent Hodge, who can, who can tell you some stories about how he has done what he does in Australia, just prayed for people to be healed and prayed, you know, heal Mrs. Blog's sniffly nose. And then you, you pray that kind of prayer in where he is in Jos, northern Nigeria, which is next door to Ghana. And you pray, you pray prayers like that. And suddenly they're, they're seeing some of the most spectacular miracles. Because here's, here's this point. The Holy Spirit will always be more active where there is more opposition to the gospel. Where there is increased demonic activity, we, we see in the book of Acts, and we see today that the Holy Spirit will be active. So here's the, here's the thing. If you leave here today going, boy, how come we don't see people being slain dead in the Spirit? There's a few people I'd like slain dead in the Spirit, but how come we don't see it? How come we're not seeing the pastor point to someone, be silent, like little babies sometimes, and they are? How come we're not seeing the spectacular, the blind eyes open? How come we're not seeing the spectacular? Well, just consider this. If you are in a church where you are seeing some extraordinary stuff, chances are you live in a culture where there is extraordinary spiritual activity. And if you're in a church where there is spectacular miracles happening all the time, you may want to ask the question, hmm, why does the Holy Spirit think this is necessary? It's worth pondering. So while we have the culture that we have, as apathetic as it is, let's take advantage of it. While we are not thrown in jail right now for sharing the gospel, let's share the gospel. <laughs> let's be active in sharing the gospel. Let's be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to come down this home stretch now. So see if you can, you, you can follow this. There are categories of spiritual gifts that the apostle mentions. Now, I haven't got these verses on the screen, but you'll see these. We're, we're reading from... Uh, verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. So these are called words of wisdom, words of knowledge. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, if we were really, 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 really conservative, we would say none of those things apply today, if we were, and we're not. And the, and the reason people would say that is because in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous love chapter, it says, When that which is perfect has come, 
These things will be done away with. And the argument is that the word of God, the 66 books of the Bible, is that which is perfect. Therefore, there's no more need for the gifts of the Spirit. But I don't think this is what the Apostle's talking about when he talks about that which is perfect. That which is perfect is, I suspect, Paul means, and he goes on to talk about this, is the resurrection. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, and he calls it the perfect, the resurrection. So when the resurrection comes, when we're all in heaven, there won't be any further need for the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, so there's categories of gifts. You notice wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, and tongues. These are what we might call vocal gifts. These are gifts that use the mouth. That's the first category. Then we have revelation gifts, where people know stuff so that they can see people and they go, I don't think they're really a... I think this is a wolf in sheep's clothes. That's called discerning of spirits. They've got a revelation from God. You have people who get a revelation, I think God can do this. Because there, I see some pastors who have the gifts, gifts of faith. It's like a, a revelation gift. God speaks into their heart, now they know something. Then there are what we call power gifts. And again, my heart says, God, I would love to have some of these gifts on tap. I would love the power gifts. When you see someone who's so sick, so injured, so damaged, so hurting, your heart goes out and says, oh God, just a, bit of, just a miracle right now, please. And there are some, there are some who God does. He gives miracles to. We were in London um, 2006 and Amanda was there. So we were in this church, a lot of Africans in this church and uh, um, someone there who, who went a frequent visit to Africa and and he's, he's going, we'll be here for as long as it takes for God to do what he wants to do. And we just thought, well, that could be 91 minutes. No idea, six hours. But what we saw was extraordinary. Do you remember that, Amanda? There was that lady who came in with uh, multiple sclerosis and she came in with a wheelchair. Was all, and, and, and this guy prayed for her and next thing she unnailed and she walked and her 17-year-old daughter burst into tears. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, well, she could probably walk a little bit. And the more I processed it, the more I realised I think I've just seen a miracle. So God does miracles. He does. But I want you to, I, I, please, I, I hope you hear my heart here. I'm not wanting to lack faith, but I think God responds appropriately when he deems it necessary. So, Here's the purpose of the spiritual gifts. Two purposes. We read in 1 Corinthians 12, here's how, how we see the, the purpose of the gifts. The apostle says this should be done for the building up of one another. So here's the first purpose, that the spiritual gifts bless fellow believers. There's, a, there's another point, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14, and he says that, the gifts are also given so that unbelievers might believe. So that when an unbeliever comes in, the secrets of his heart will be revealed. And Paul says this amazing thing, so that he will then fall down on his knees and glorify God. So the gifts are given so that unbelievers might come to know God. This is to happen in church. How should the gifts be used? 
we, we do want to leave room. Usually when, when we've settled down and we can have a time perhaps where we invite people to pray and seek and contribute, and that usually happens in our church service just after communion. And it should be, the Paul says, let, let someone speak, and if they speak in tongue, let someone interpret. And if no one interprets, the one who spoke in that tongue, which is a language you've never learned, it's a gift of the Spirit, that person should, should seek God to interpret it. And let that happen no more than two, maybe three times, the Apostle says. So it's not like we can have 17 people all have a go. Just let the vocal gifts be limited to two or three. How else can the gifts be used? Well, we, we make room for gifts of miracles and healing. And God is more concerned about his glory, his name, his gospel than I am. And he will give gifts when you need it. Will you be open? Can we as a church say, God, have your way in us? Holy Spirit, have your way in us and through us. We don't want to be stupid about this. We want to be spiritual about this. True Christianity is inspired by the Holy Spirit. There are a number of spiritual gifts, all designed to grow the local church and build up fellow believers. Next week, Dr. Corbett concludes his Holy Spirit series with the Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.